Uh, ahoy. Um, we're on page 389. Does anybody still need a Bible? If you do, please just wave at me. It looks like everybody has one. 389, that's Ezra chapter 2. Um, second sermon in our Ezra series, which runs through to early summer with a couple of, um, a couple of other things in between. Let me just pray briefly and then we will, we will get right into it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Our Father, we could say those words every evening from now through to forever, and they will always be true. What a wonderful God. Be with us now, Father, we pray. Help us by your Spirit. Turn our hearts towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This passage is about identity. It's about who you are as a Christian. It's about who we are as a church. Identity is a big deal these days. Very sensitive issue, very politically loaded issue. Now, of course, the question, who am I, uh, is as old as humanity. And it has always been at the heart of the human search for meaning. The question is as old as mankind and how you answer it matters. How you answer it individually matters. How we answer it as a church matters. And this passage is about that question. Who are you? Who are we? Chapter one of, uh, of Ezra answered the question, who is God? He is the sovereign I am, the Lord whose word determines the rising and the falling of emperors and of empires. That was chapter one, who is God? But now in chapter two, the question is, who are you? Who are we? So what we're gonna do is, uh, is first see how this text, this list of, it's 126 names, if I've counted correctly. Uh, how this list answers the identity question and then we'll talk about how that applies to us uh, towards the end. So, a very brief reminder of context. The people of Judah had been conquered by Babylon in 586 BC. Almost 50 years later, in 538 BC, Babylon had given way to Persia as the, the regional superpower. And the Persian king Cyrus gave permission for the, uh, the Jewish exiles to return to their homeland and to rebuild the ancient city of Jerusalem. Those who took up the offer to return did so in three big groups over a period of about 95 years, just short of 95 years. And the first six chapters of the book of Ezra deal with the first returning group under the leadership of Zerubbabel. If anybody knows if I'm pronouncing that correctly, please do tell me, Zerubbabel. Ezra himself only returned to Jerusalem as part of the second group that was about 80 years later. Uh, that's all I want to say about context for now. We can fill in other details as we need them. I want to, to dive straight into the big issue that this chapter addresses, identity. Who are you? Who are we? Now, this chapter lays four pillars of a Christian identity. Four pillars of a Christian identity. We'll take them one at a time uh, as they come. And first up, Ezra tells us, 
Um, we are people of God's covenant. Tony, could I ask you, this, this seems to, could I ask you just to click forward one? Thank you. Um, we are the people of God's covenant. Now, this passage, believe it or not, is packed full of the covenants of God. If you see the phrase, the people of Israel, at the end of verse 2, the people of Israel, Ezra intentionally links the returning, Isra the returning exiles to Israel of old. He says the people of Israel return to the land, and then he gives all the lists. But we need to remember the history here. Who are these folks coming out of exile? Well, it wasn't the people of Israel. It was the people of Judah. About 400 years before, uh, before this return, the nation of Israel, that's the united nation of Israel, enjoyed epic conquests under King David and great prosperity under King Solomon. They were 12 tribes in one united nation. But after Solomon, and as a result of Solomon's sin, civil war broke out and the kingdom split. Now, the 10 tribes of the north continued to be known collectively as Israel, and the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, were known collectively as Judah. And the kings of Israel in the north con consistently refused to walk in the ways of the Lord, despite repeated warnings from the prophets. And in 722 BC, Israel was conquered by Assyria, its people exiled to uh, various parts of the Assyrian Empire, and that was the end of Israel. Judah, the two southern tribes, endured for another 150 years or so, but eventually they came, came under the same judgment. They were conquered by Babylon and exiled. So those returning from exile now, from exile in Babylon, are not Israel. They are Judah. Yet here in verse 2, Ezra calls them the people of Israel. Why? What is Ezra saying? Why does he call them Israel? Well, the name Israel reaches back one and a half thousand years before this time to, to the promises that the Lord made earlier to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. In Genesis chapter 17 from verse 4, God said to Abraham, Behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you. And I will give to you and your offspring all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God promised Abraham he would be his God, that nations would come from him, and that he would give to his offspring all the land of Canaan. And God later confirmed those same promises to Isaac and then to Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. People of God, Israel is telling us, are not fundamentally defi defined by their history. They are not fundamentally defined by their successes or their failures, or by the glories or the shame of their ancestors. They are defined by the covenant of the Lord. What makes Israel Israel is their covenant relationship to God. 
It is his promise to them to be God to them, to form of them a nation and to give them a home of their own. And that's what Ezra is saying here. We are people of the covenant. We see it emphasized further in verses 3 to 35. It looks like it's just a list of names that are difficult to say. But the list makes a covenant point. You see, the list is in two parts. From verse 3 to verse 20, the uh, the list is by families. From verse 21 to 35, Ezra lists people by association with their hometowns. It's a list of families and it's a list of places. These were the two outward components of the covenant. I will make of you a nation. I will give you land. People and land. What's going on here in this list of names from verse 30 to 35 is God is keeping his promise. The nation of Abraham's people is going home to the promised land. People and land. The returning exiles are defined with reference to the ancient covenant. God's people are people of the covenant. Now, God's covenant with Abraham and all the covenants we read of in the Bible, Adam, Noah, Abraham, with Israel at Sinai, with David, even the new covenant in Christ, all of them were and are outworkings of one prior covenant, the most ancient covenant of all, the eternal covenant between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. The eternal covenant concerning the salvation of the elect. The covenant that our confession, the 1689 London Baptist Confession, calls a covenant of grace. We hear of this eternal covenant of grace in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, which says that Christians were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. By eternal covenant, We who are now in Christ were united to him in eternity past. We hear of it again from Jesus' own lips in John chapter 6 when he says from verse 38, I've come down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me. And this is his will, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Church, we were given by the Father to the Son in eternity past, in the eternal covenant made between Father, Son, and Spirit. An immeasurable saving love was fixed upon us in Christ in eternity past. Christian, you are not defined by your past, good or bad. Church, we are not defined by the glories or the shames of our past. We are defined by covenant relationship to the living God. The first pillar of Christian identity, we are the people of God's ancient covenant. The second pillar of Christian identity, we are saved by his grace. Saved by his grace. Back in chapter one, verse one, Ezra begins his account by telling us that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. 
to release the Jewish exiles back to their homeland. And in verse 5 of chapter 1, it says that those who took up the offer to return were those who were stirred in their spirits by God to go. It was the Lord that stirred their spirits. The Lord who moved their hearts, both Cyrus's heart and the hearts of those who returned. The Lord's grace, the Lord's work is always prior. His grace always comes before our response to him. His grace enables our response to him. His grace frees our hearts so that we respond rightly to him. We hear it again in Ephesians, this, this time chapter 2 from verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Well, let me ask you, friends, how much initiative did you make towards your own salvation when you were still dead in your sin? What action does a dead man or a dead woman take? None, zero, nothing. He did it all. That is sovereign, irresistible grace. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Irresistible grace, life-giving grace. There's a very beautiful thing going on in this list of names, and we'll see it in a moment in the third pillar of Christian identity, but to see it, we must first remember why Judah had gone into exile. Why did the Lord visit this judgment on them in the first place? And we hear that answer from, from the Lord's own mouth in Jeremiah chapter one, from verse 14. I will let loose disaster out of the north, said the Lord. That's the army of Babylon. Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah will be lost. This is my judgment against them. Why? Why the judgment? For all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. What was the great sin? They bowed to false gods. They worshipped things made with their own hands. They found made things more beautiful, more worthy of worship than the great I am. And that's where you and I were, friends. We once were enslaved in our desires to the made things of this world. Our eyes saw no beauty in God. We gave him no worship. Our hearts were dead to him. And what did irresistible grace do? Grace called us out of that spiritual death that saw no beauty in God, that offered no worship to God, and made us alive to God in Christ. Grace gave us eyes to see and hearts to worship. Grace made us a people devoted to his son. And that brings us to the third, third pillar of Christian identity. 
We are people of the ancient covenant. We are saved by his irresistible grace. We are a people devoted to his son. What was the main purpose of the return? Chapter one, verses three and four, the proclamation of King Cyrus. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And here comes the purpose clause. And rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor, in whatever place he sojourns, be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings. And here it comes again for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the people's response, verse five of chapter one, then rose up everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up, here it is, to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. It was all about rebuilding the temple. Now, if we look again at the list of names, we saw from verse 30 to 35 that this return was all about God's covenant. But now look from verse 36 onwards. Who are the people who are singled out? Who are those named? Verse 36, the priests. Verse 40, the Levites. Verse 41, the singers. Verse 42, the gatekeepers. Verse 43, the temple servants. Ezra didn't list the carpenters, the lawyers, the homemakers, the software engineers, the postmen, or the football coaches. He only listed those who had temple functions. We see his emphasis again at the very end of the chapter, verse 70. Now the priests, the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants lived in their towns, and all the rest of Israel in their towns. There were those who served in the temple, and then there was everyone else. Now, Ezra is not saying that other vocations are unimportant to God. Of course they are. Every good and honest work by which men and women serve others in a good and honest way is pleasing in the sight of God. If you are a carpenter, a lawyer, a postman, a software engineer, a football coach, or a homemaker, if you do that thing in, God, in good and honest service of others, that is a good thing and pleasing in God's sight. That's not what Ezra chapter two is about. In context of what's going on in this chapter, what Ezra is saying is that the whole life of the returning people was defined by and organized around the temple and the sacrificial rituals of the temple. Now the temple was two things. It was God's dwelling in the midst of his people and it was the place where atonement for sin was made. The temple was where the high priest would enter the holy place once each year to offer sacrifices to atone for the sin of all Israel. And all that ritual, all those sacrifices that were offered year after year after year, every one of the priests that served in the temple for all those centuries, all of it pointed forward to Jesus. The temple was an institution of grace. And it pointed forward to Jesus, who fulfilled all that the temple foreshadowed. 
Jesus was the one who came to make full and perfect atonement for the sin of his people by offering his body and his blood as the perfect and more than sufficient sacrifice. Everything about the return from exile was about the temple. Everything about the Christian life centers on Jesus. So what is the, what is the beautiful thing going on in this list? What is the beautiful thing that irresistible grace produces in the hearts of those who were once enemies of God? It is devotion to his son. Love for him who is lovely far above all. Trust in him who is faithful above all. Reverence for him before whom the stars bow. Adoration for him who is worthy of all the songs of men and of angels. The pillars of a Christian identity. We are people of the ancient covenant. Saved by irresistible grace. Devoted to Jesus. And fourth, we are citizens of his kingdom. Ezra recorded their names. Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispah, Bigvi, Rahem, and Benar, the sons of Parash, the sons of Shephatiah, the sons of Ara, the sons of Pahath, Moab, the sons of Jeshua and Joab, and of Elam, and of Zatu, and of Zakai, and of Bani, and of Bebai, and of Asgad, and of Adonikam, and of Bigvi, and of Aden, and Atta, and Hezekiah, and Bezai, and Jorah, and Hashem, and of Gibar. Chapter 2 gives summary details, but each one returning was counted. Verse 64, the whole assembly together was numbered, 42,360. They endured an exile in Babylon, but their names were written down in Jerusalem. And Jesus told us that there is a book in heaven, a book of names. The apostles loved to think of that book. Paul talks about it in his letter to the Philippian church. He speaks about his fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. John talks about it in his great vision of the world to come. He says that only, the only people who will enter the kingdom are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And my friends, we are exiles in this world, but we are citizens of another kingdom. Before the foundation of this world, before let there be light, our names were already written down in the book of his kingdom. Peter and Phil and James and Noah and Catherine and Hazel and Pauline and Joel and Sam and Sai, and Benedict, and Mike, and John. And oh, how precious is that book to the Lamb. How Jesus loves the book in which our names are written. None, he said, none. I will lose none of those whom my Father has given me. I will raise them up on the last day. We are citizens of another kingdom. Our hopes are fixed there. Our joys are secure there. Our peace is unassailable there. 
Our names are written there. Four pillars of a Christian identity. We are a people of the ancient covenant. We are saved by irresistible grace. We are a people devoted to his son, Jesus. We are citizens of his kingdom. And really, we could sum this all up by saying, we are his in Christ. We are his in Christ. Ezra chapter 1, who is God? He is the sovereign I am. The Lord whose word determines the rising and the falling of emperors and empires. Ezra chapter 2, who are you? Who are we? We are his in Christ. I want to say a word or two about some ways this applies to us as a church in the days we live in. Because to say we are his in Christ is to say something that runs completely against the flow of modern culture. There's much that could be said here, but I just want to make a couple of brief points. The first is we do not belong to the state. It's right that we submit to the state insofar as the state commands good, punishes wickedness, but we do not belong to the state. We are his. And as the state seeks totalizing control, which is a thing that should not surprise us, it is only the restraining hand of God that keeps the state from being much more overt in its quest for power. We, the church, must remember that he to whom we belong is the great I am of chapter one. He is the Lord who moves emperors and empires according to his purposes. And when all is said and done, only one kingdom will remain. Even Nebuchadnezzar, who was king of Babylon when they conquered Jerusalem, 50 years or so before our passage, Nebuchadnezzar, who took the people into his exile, even he was brought to recognize the sovereignty of the one true God. We read his testimony in Daniel chapter 4. At the, end of, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion, not mine, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? We do not belong to the state. Church, we are his in Christ. We do not belong to the culture. When the culture demands that we bow to its idols, we must remember that this is what sent Judah into exile in the first place. Remember Jeremiah chapter 1. I will declare my judgments against them, said the Lord, for all their evil in forsaking me. What was the evil? They have made offerings to other gods. They have worshipped the works of their own hands. They worship made things. 
young people especially, when the culture of the school, of the college, of the university demands that you bow to values that run against the ways of God, remember, you are a child of the ancient covenant. You have been saved, raised from spiritual death by his grace. He who, who, who is forever devoted to you is worthy of your devotion now. Your name is written in his book. You are a citizen of his eternal kingdom. My brothers and sisters in Christ, remember who you are. And let us as a church together remember whose we are. We are his in Christ. We belong to no other. We are his. Let's pray. None above him, none before him. All of time is in his hands. Our God is the ancient of days. What a wonder, what a wonder that you set your love upon us. What a wonder that in the holy council of the Trinity, you chose us for salvation. You covenanted for our salvation. What a wonder that by grace you turned enemy hearts to love you, to trust you, to adore you. What a wonder that you sent your son for our rescue. What a wonder our names are in your book. Help us to remember who we are, Father. We live in the last days. There will be times of trouble. Help us to remember who you are and that we are yours in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.